We're live with a brand new intro, and Brian Silverbacks is finally here. I usually see you Monday night with Joey, and I pop in and uh, throw in my uh, my my two cents. Is you know two and a half, maybe sometimes. But yeah, I've I've slowed down the amount of live streams that I do only because I don't have uh, a lot of coloring work that I'm working on, and that typically lends itself well for me sitting down here with this workstation and being able to do live. So I've, got, I've had so much other stuff going on that I just haven't made the time to go live and, and have fun. So outside of the thing with Joey, I rarely get on any live streams like yeah. that I've, I've done. So I want to, I want to thank you for coming on, but I know you got a, you got a lot of stuff to talk about. You got a, you got a lot of stuff going on. I just have a lot of fun. I don't know. What is your audience? Like we're not, we're not here to promote one thing. Are we like cultivating creativity? Are we going to just talk about what does it take to do this? Oh, by the way, we're rated R, right? Like we can say shit. Yeah, we can fucking say shit. Okay. Okay. I just want to make sure, like, I want to be able to fully pull down my guard and just say, so if, if, if we want to talk about all the cool shit that we're getting into or how this happens, like I, I'm completely, now that I don't do my own streams, I feel like I really just want to be so open to anybody that has questions about, hey, man, how did this happen? Or how can I do this? Or it, that type of stuff. To, I, I like doing that. And I, that's that's probably the main thing that I miss about doing the stream. So I don't want to limit this to tell me more about Star Bastard and Loggerhead. Like, I'll, I'll talk about whatever we got, whatever we go, but I don't want us to be pigeonholed to, we can't talk about that. We got to talk about this book that's coming out next week. Oh no, no, no! But I do I, have a book coming out next week. So pop, pop that up. Let's take a look at this. Boom! There it is. So that's the cover A, and the WrestleMania looking cover is cover B. Yeah, I like the WrestleMania cover. <laughs> yeah, it's like an old VHS box. Yeah, I still have some of them. So that that comes out Wednesday. As far as I know, I know I know I have to read that because uh, I read and reviewed your first loggerhead for uh, Outright Geekery. So, well, I appreciate it, but this this one's even weirder. So, the thing about this team up project, it's Star Bastard is a character that has been in Scout Comics long before Loggerhead was even conceived as being a Scout Comics person. And uh, while after I had done the first Loggerhead Bloody Bayou. I reached out to Andrew, who created Star Bastard, and said, hey, maybe one day we should have like a crossover between our characters and stuff. I was 
in my head, I was thinking that Loggerhead was going to be so impactful and so well received and nothing of COVID had happened at the point. Like we hadn't, there was no, uh, so Loggerhead, the comic book is very affected by the COVID stuff. The mm -hmm. Diamond Order uh, was all messed up during the time that we could order Loggerhead. Diamond stopped shipping and Diamond did this and then comic book shops started closing. And that all happened during the period where you could pre-order Loggerhead through Diamond. So that already kind of jacked that up. And then with comic book shops closing, it pushed the release month of Loggerhead by two months down, down from where we originally thought. So, and with everybody not knowing whether they're going to be employed or what, you know, all that other stuff, it, it, nobody wanted, it, it, maybe they didn't want to take a chance on a new comic book about a big giant turtle man from someone they'd never heard of before. So I thought when, I, but when I, when I approached Andrew in my head, uh, Loggerhead was going to be a pretty fucking big deal. But I mean, as, as, as my baby, that's who I, I'm supposed to think that way, whether or not it ends up being true. So I reached out to him and I was like, hey, uh, maybe we should uh, think about trying to do a crossover. He was very receptive to that. And we started bouncing ideas off of each other. And so he, what he did, since he is the more seasoned writer of the two of us, he's gotten many projects under his belt and he's been doing it for a while. And that's kind of what he does. He wrote this loggerhead star bastard team up. He wrote the entire thing. All I all I did was kind of like uh, gently suggest kind of what I think would be a cool way to have the story go. And then when it came to writing Loggerhead's dialogue, I, I got to pick the words when Andrew said, here's what I need to be said, but put it in the voice of Loggerhead. So this book actually marks the first time that a loggerhead has spoken in a comic book. So I really had to think about how he sounded, what speech, uh, what kind of accent and stuff like that. So it, it's actually pretty cool for me to have a character that I created and I did not write his first words and kind of like pass that on to this guy. And, and so it, it, that's one of the things that makes this really unique to me was having another more seasoned writer be the one that actually wrote his first dialogue. And then the guy that did the lettering, uh, Rob Jones, took it upon himself to make Loggerhead's dialogue bubbles stand out from everybody else's uh, bubbles inside the inside the the, the book. And it so and that was and I didn't know that until he said, Hey, here's here's the PDF. Look through it and say what you think. And I was like, oh, man, that's awesome. I would have never, had I lettered it myself, I probably just would have thrown a speech bubble and done it like everybody else's. But that's not how it was handled in this book. And I was very pleasantly surprised. So it's all fun, man. Well, it's good to see a, see another one. I've, I've seen your posts with, uh, with the 3D modeling of your uh, vlogger head action figure and... Yeah, I'm still waiting. Like, so I paid the guy. I found him on Instagram, a guy that does 3D modeling. I think it's Ziggs 3D Printing is his is his name on Instagram. 
and he charges, I think, $150 or $175, and he'll take, like, your 2D drawing. So if you, like, sent this to him and said, hey, can you make me a 3D model of this? He charges you the 150 bucks or whatever, and in a couple of weeks, he'll send you the 3D model, and you can get that printed by anybody that does 3D modeling. So that's how I got the first model done. I'm still, I don't, I don't physically have one in front of me because he said he had mailed it, but he's, that doesn't seem to be coming nearly as fast as the file. So he may not have sent it, or maybe he's in another country. I wasn't, you know, made aware of that. Uh, so I, I sent the file to a couple of other people that I deal, that I work with and they have 3D printers. So they're supposed to be printing up some, and then eventually I'll have some in the mail. But it was it's it's cool to look at. I just want to I want to be able to hold it up to the camera and be like, yo, like not it this isn't Wolverine, this is loggerhead. Oh yeah, I got a Wolverine too. Yeah, these are awesome. This is I got three I got Wolverine, Incredible Hulk. I got a, these are like old Christmas ornaments or something. Oh, I, don't yeah. why, I don't know why they're up here, but they are. I get a I get a whole bunch of stuff laying around because I'm like digging through boxes and everything now. And I'm well, yeah, out. for you, they're going to shit everywhere. Everything, every box, it's going to be like Christmas. At Christmas, you're just going to get to go, oh, I forgot I had this. Yeah, but I, I was bummed because back in like 99, I bought a, I bought a whole, uh, like a full box of all four uh, previews exclusives of like the offspring of, of the Marvel Universe. It All was, right. So it was uh, like New Warrior. Oh, May Parker. But it, as you can see, they the all the cards got wicked damage because they were put in a box. And some idiot put in. I had like a half a case of uh, Dr Pepper. So they put the half a case of Dr Pepper in the milk crate and then put this box up on top and then. During the last four winters, outside in a storage bin, storage bin, uh, the soda blew up, and so you so, just keep Dr Pepper in a storage unit. Well, I was in a coma. I had nothing to do with it. Dr Pepper was next to my oh. computer. I was. I landed in a. I died, and I landed in a coma. They put me in a medical coma. Now that's a that's a very unique experience. You say you died. Mm -hmm. Now. This this stinger that's that's wasp and uh, yep, yellow jackets. Uh, yeah, she's got some thighs on her. Oh yeah, ain't nothing wrong with it. Now, when you die, like, are, are you write comic books, right? No. Or you write stories? Do you do you do any kind of writing? Yeah, I well, I used to, and then I got a camera, and I said, well, screw that, I hate typing. Yeah, but what about, do you think that maybe anything that you experienced when you were clinically dead, was there anything there that, that you think would make a cool transition into like some sort of graphic story? Yeah, I was I was actually thinking about that, but. Because I can only imagine, I've never, I've never really spoken to anybody. Now, what's that one's name? That is uh, American Dream. Oh, Steve, I've never spoken to anybody that has experienced clinical death before. And I'm just, and you know, you see it in movies and you see it at Wild Thing. Is that Wolverine? 
Yep. That's Wolverine's daughter, yeah. Uh, so Riot X23. So so what happened was uh I was I was feeling like crap. Like one second I was I was sweating balls and the next second uh my teeth were chattering when I had sure. teeth. And I had to leave work. I was like passing out on my feet and I had to leave work. And I drove to uh, my babysitter's, picked up my daughter, went home, figured I just needed to sleep. And then it just started getting worse and worse. Uh, we waited at one hospital that didn't do crap. And then they shipped. My, uh, my brother came down, picked my daughter up. She was like only like four and a half at the time. And they sent me to Rhode Island Hospital. And they hooked, they hooked me up and they... They ran like blood tests like right away. <coughs> and uh, I had uh, sepsis, cellulitis, and fasciitis. Now, now, is that is that all heart shit? Uh, no. Uh, sepsis is just. I had a big pocket of sepsis on the on the back of my. Uh, right leg. It looked like a softball growing out of my leg and it exploded. So but basically you, but you knew you had it before, right? Like you were like, well, no, I had no, I had no of my leg. Yeah. I asked the doctor, he goes, I don't think it's anything. Huh. And then, then when they ran the blood test, like, Oh yeah, that's sepsis. And I'm like, Oh great. Oh, what's that? I've heard the word. I thought but... sepsis was a condition. I didn't realize that I thought it was like like pneumonia, like you have, like sepsis was a thing that could happen. Uh, it is blood poisoning. So I sh I should be dead like three different ways. So uh, what happened was while they were while they were operating on me doing the fasciotomy. Fasciotomy did, that sounds intense. Uh yeah they 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 cut out a chunk of my leg. All right. <coughs> um. And they had to do that because everything was poisoned down there. That's where the that's where the ball of sepsis the sepsis exploded and shot through my body. Um, they ended up pulling all but my wisdom teeth out. Damn them! And uh, now, what was it? Did they tell you why they needed to pull your teeth out because your leg exploded? No, because I was I was dead. Uh, but I don't think that that's common practice to pull dead people's teeth out. Well, what what happened was. They lost, they lost me on the table for like a good like 45 seconds. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they had to they had to put me into a, a medical coma. I mean a medical yeah, they had to put me into a medical coma because all of my vital organs ceased. Okay. And uh, now all now your clinical death was a, a result of the blood poisoning. Yeah, of well, of everything, and I was like, I was. It didn't help that I was almost six hundred pounds at the time. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, hypertension, high blood pressure, you know, didn't didn't help. And what happened was they did they did like four blood transfusions on me, and then the stuff kept. You know, I'd be okay for a little while, and then they, you know, they do the tests like every hour. And then they're like, the poison's back in his system. 
So they figured some of the some of the bad shit was hiding in the gum line. Uh. And it tends to be an issue. So they did that. I've at this point I've had like 15 surgeries. And wow. when well, I when I finally they had to do I I coded like three times in the ICU. Um, while I was in the ICU, they had they had the tube down they had the tubes down my throat and everything, and I ended up getting uh, intubation pneumonia on top of everything else. <laughs> while um, while you were in a coma, mm-hmm. you got pneumonia while you were in a coma. God damn! And they. Uh, they couldn't leave me on intubation. You can't. You can't be on it too long because if you're on it too long, your body gets used to it and it can't operate without it. And then you, yeah. you're done. But every time they would take me off and I'd be okay for maybe like an hour, half hour, and I'd code. So they had to do a, they had to do a trait right here. Oh, okay. Um. But because of all the pain I was in, I was on when I I started to come out of it. I couldn't talk or anything um, for probably about a week and a half. But uh, they had me on a double morphine trip. Which, so I'm guessing you don't remember much of that shit, then. Sadly, I do, and it scares it still scares the fuck out of me. I've got uh, I've got. From everything that happened in the hospital, and that was like a good like three months from them putting me into the coma till, you know, coming out of it before they sent me to rehab. And I was in a rehab hospital for almost two years. Um, yeah, it was pretty messed up. Every once in a while, just like some stuff comes back and, you know, I got I've got PTSD from, you know, all that shit that happened in the hospital. And some people do well on that pain drug and other people do not. I do not. I, I spent the entire time hallucinating. Uh, I mean, I don't know. That doesn't sound too bad. I'd like to be hallucinating for a while. Unless you're getting like a bad trip or something, then I guess it could be, it could be a little disheartening. Well, yeah, I, I thought... I thought one of the janitors was was like you know a mob guy was you know undercover and was trying to kill me. Oh wow! So I was always trying to get out of bed. They and at night I would I would wake up not know where I was and I would stop pulling everything out. So they started putting mittens on me and and binding me down to the bed, which I don't deal well with. So. Um, but uh, there was there was one point where I was hallucinating, and I thought I was the Joker, and I was killing, <laughs> and and I thought I was killing Harley. I thought I was ripping her throat out. In actuality, I ripped my tracheotomy out and threw it across the room. Oh no! Yeah, that set off a bunch of alarms. So you're a Joker fan. Like, how are you taking this whole punchline replacing Harley Quinn thing? Are you reading those? Uh, I'm on an average. I'm like six months behind because I'm reading like 
I'm trying to read new stuff and do my do my five minute reviews on on new stuff and, and keep up on stuff. And then I've got another podcast uh, with Thomas from uh, Outright Geekery that we do called OK Boomer. <laughs> and all we do is deep dive into back issues like uh, gold, silver, and bronze. Okay. So, you know, I got to read. Where, where are all your viewers at, man? I don't see anybody in the chat or anything. Where, where we need to. Have you shared this out to everybody? Yeah, I shared this out in like 13 groups. Holy shitballs. I guess everybody's got something better to do on a Friday night, though, huh? Yeah, I usually get uh I usually get like a lot of uh after views. The rewatch. The 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 rewatch and most of the most of the regular people like all you know, I asked like a couple other people if they wanted to pop in and uh do anything and oh, I mean it is every, every, before Christmas. Yeah, so like you know, everybody's got a lot of stuff to do, you know, unless they live in California where they can't go out and do anything. Yeah, or well, what happened? I think may what may be doing this is the Cyberpunk 2077. Like it's keeping everybody inside and playing these video games as opposed to uh, going out. Because I look online and everybody's playing uh, Cyberpunk. Yeah, I know. Uh, my buddy, my buddy Nick was was posting on IG IG last night, and he had like a whole table full of Cyberpunk stuff. <laughs> even, he, he even went out and bought a Cat5 cable. He's like, fuck Wi-Fi. I ain't taking oh, wow. no chances. I'm not taking any chances. That's awesome. I, I, haven't, I, I, w I haven't bought the game simply because I've got too much work to do. So I can't, I can't reward myself with a PS5 or a new game until I get this new secret project much, much closer to completion than it is. And I can't afford a, a game system. I haven't bought a game system since uh, PS3. Oh, right. On. Well, I mean, they have. Well, now you could get a PS4 for probably pretty cheap now that the fives are out. Yeah, but why would I want a PS4 when the PS5 will play everything from the original PlayStation on? Uh, that's not fully true. I don't oh, believe. It's supposed to be. They say some of it's backwards compatible, but I don't. Don't don't hold me to it, but I don't think that every single like I don't think it's completely 100% backwards compatible simply because those those games that were designed for the PS1 were not even made with the same type of engine and the same type of stuff that the new games are programmed with. Mm -hmm. They won't even. So I don't know. Like I, I think they plan if I understand what I understand. They're going to have select games from the PS1 era port, uh, ported into like the PlayStation Store where you can download a version of that game to play. But I don't know that you can actually put a disc in there from your PS1. I'll have to check uh, my buddy. My buddy Jabo is a manager for uh, GameStop. And yeah, well, he, he, yeah, he would he, definitely know. He buys, he buys and plays all these. I'm always busting his chops. I'm like, why don't you put on your big boy pants and just play something on the PC? It's much better. He goes, all I got is a laptop. I go, see? 
That's that's why you're like almost fifty and still working at a at a video game store. What the hell's wrong with you? Well, I mean, to, for me, like I I want to play in my living room, on uh, you know, with family and entertain guests and stuff, and that may not be compatible to playing at my workstation where I have my computer, and I don't want to be a hermit where I sit in the dark and turn the lights off and clickety clickety click and I'm scoping people like. I wanted, for me, video gaming is a social interaction as opposed to a uh, a personal. I need this to to decompress. I would much rather play video games with a room full of people, where we take turns playing Mortal Kombat, and you know you lose, you pass the joystick on. That's the type of gaming that I enjoy. I don't fully enjoy me just sitting there. Uh, going through mission after mission after mission after mission of these one-player games by myself. And since I'm not good at shooter games, that limits the fact, like, you were like, Brian, why can't you just get online and have friends online? Yes, I could do that. But the games that that's popular for right now are the first-person shooter games, which I happen to suck very bad. So until Suicide Squad, the game for Suicide Squad and the game for... Batman, Gotham Knights, those two games are going to be multiplayer through the through the solo campaign. I, I guess not solo campaign, but through the campaign mode, you can have people jump in and out. So that is what I'm looking forward to because I very much enjoyed Spider-Man game and all of the Arkham games. I liked playing those, and those would be games that I did play by myself. But if I could do that and be able to play online with somebody who's on my team, I'm, that there's no, that's going to be a lot of fun for me. Oh yeah, you know, uh, a, a chance to uh, be on be on the Bat Squad as as Red Hood and just go running around shooting people in the face. Yeah, yeah, and and those games are very very fun. I don't know if you've played them, but oh yeah, I played games. all the Arkham games and I, I bought the. Like the big, like hundred dollar box set for yeah. the first for the first one with the batarang and everything in it. Yeah, I love yeah. those. So those the, the the fight dynamic, the story, the cutscenes, everything about those games is very very fun. And if I take that and now I can combine that with playing along with a friend or someone that I know, and I and I can have a good time while I'm doing that, that. There's going to be that, that's going to be where I live for a little bit. And hey, Court of Owls. Yeah, well, I, I only know the Court of Owls. Like, I, I've, I've stopped reading comics long ago, but I am familiar that a lot of Batman people really do hold the Court of Owls in a very special place. Like, there's a lot of good storytelling that involves that group and that organization. And although I'm not familiar with it through reading, I have seen enough uh, summaries and storyline uh, cliff note stuff to to realize that it's going to be fun to to have them in a game. Oh yeah, it's gonna you know, it was I because I I collected all the floppies, uh, being you know being a Batman guy, and uh, but then they then DC started releasing the trades and they would re release trades with a mask. Like they were, they released the, uh, 
They oh, released, I did see that. They released the like the worst jo- version of Joker they ever did, where he cut his own face off. Now, why did you not like that? Aesthetically, I just, did, I just did, didn't like it. Yeah, like aesthetically, you didn't like it, or you didn't like the character. I didn't. I didn't like how the character ran, and I didn't like you know how it was aesthetically too. You know, it was. It it didn't seem. I mean, I've seen all kinds of, you know, versions of the Joker, and and now we've seen even more with you know all the Jeff Lemire stuff this year. But uh, that just didn't that just didn't fall right for me, you know. Have you, have you read the uh, three Jokers? This the story that just came out. I haven't read it yet. I highly suggest that a Joker fan such as your sh- yourself. Now, I haven't read it either. I watched a summary on YouTube that basically I found that there's a channel called Variant Comics. I think it's called. Yeah. And he basically reads you the comic book, panel for panel, and I'm just like. That works for me because I have so much difficulty reading. I, I I get to look at the pictures and have somebody read the words to me. So whenever he does like a comprehensive, here's how the story is, I, that's the way I like to digest. And when I watch that in regards to the three Jokers, it seemed like a very, it, 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 it's a very interesting story. There's, a, there's another site too that does like stories, like entire arcs. Oh, that's Comics Explained. Yeah, that's, you know. That guy, that I, I can't believe how much information the Comics Explained guy has in his head. That guy, when he does his breakdowns and stuff of stories and comic books, it's just so much information that I, I would have forgotten a third of what he's already said. Like a lot of the ones that I've watched, like uh, I watched the uh, the World War Hulk one. Yep. Because I've read it like ten times myself. And uh, last week, one of there's a few World War Hulk tie-ins that I actually missed, and I just got one, which was the uh, What If number one, and it was the World War Hulk tie-in, and it was the first appearance of Hulk's son, Scar. Uh huh. So I ju- I just got that in the mail like this week, so I was excited for that. I was like, more Hulk stuff, and I've got the uh, I bought one of the uh, the Diamond Retailer Thank You editions of uh, World War Hulk, the black and the black and white cover. Okay, and uh, I can't get to it right now because everything's buried. But, <laughs> uh, I it's fu- it's signed like five times. Oh really? And that's uh, beginning of the year. That's getting that's getting sent out to uh, CBCS, and that's going up. That's going to go up on, on my wall on a, on a slide stand. The CBCS, and it's already been signed five times. You're you're not going to be able to get a yellow label. You're going to have to send it through verification. Is that what you're going to do? Yeah. Okay. I got. I have some red label stuff before they started doing that. I don't. I don't have. You know, I don't have a lot of uh, of slab stuff. You know, I'm not. I'm not like huge on it because 
I'm a reader. I want to be able to pick up the books and read them. And, but you know, I've got a few, I've got a, I've got an all-star squadron, number one, um, CGC, the yellow label, cause it's signed by Jerry Ordway. And I couldn't pass up getting a, a CGC book with Jerry Ordway SIG on it. Yeah. Uh, for 35 bucks. Oh, wow. So <laughs> I think, uh, I do. I have more slabs than I thought I, sh than I think I should. But mine come from being able to I, I attend shows where there'll be a creator there that I admire and I will actually already have owned the book. Like uh, I had New Mutants 98 from when I bought it back in 92 or 91 or whenever I bought it. Mm -hmm. And then I did a show and Fabian Nicieza was there and I was like, oh, man. So I had Fabian Nicieza sign my 98 and then just went sent it off to get graded. It came back with a shit grade, but I was like, this is the comic book that I bought when it came out. I met one of the people responsible for it. I've had mm -hmm. to sign it, and now I've got this keepsake. So a lot of my books are books that I owned prior to them being signed and slabbed. Like, I don't, I don't go out and buy signed and slabbed stuff. I take stuff that I have. I meet the people. And then I try to, and then I try to get it slabbed if I can afford it at the time. That's oh yeah, generally how I work. Sometimes there are some exceptions, but that's generally how I end up with a slab. Or it's a book that I worked on, and I was like, well, maybe one day one of us is going to hit it big, and this will be worth some money. So I might as well slab it now. Well, there's no way I'm ever going to Italy because I, I, I just don't fly. <laughs> if I'm going anywhere, it's on. It's either in a boat or on wheels. So I've got a, uh, I'm a huge Vampirella fan. Uh-huh. And I got, I got the Virgin variant cover of uh, Vampirella versus Reanimator number one from uh, Lucia Parella. All uh, right. And I've got that signed and graded. That's awesome. That's, I, I like some of his, I like some of the work. I haven't, I'm not familiar with all of it. There's so many talented variant cover artists that are into that digital painterly style mm -hmm. and I, I for me sometimes it's hard to is that an art germ is that a Derek Chu or is that somebody else that's kind of like they all and I don't want to say that they have a very a carbon copy of each other but they all have that similar style but uh, the guy that you just spoke of He's very, I like the way that hit most of his stuff has like some sort of smoke or some sort of like weird kind of mystical feel to it. Yeah, and well, I, like. I, I'm pretty sure because uh, if you go on to his, if you go on to his IG, you'll see like short videos and all those covers are like full fledged paintings that he does, does in physical media. Oh really? And then they get scanned. Then they get scanned in at a later date. He does like all the all these techniques that I, you know, that I've never seen, and you know, could never do because I can't draw a stick person. But uh, it's you know, it was just it was just amazing. And I I saw that cover and I'm like, man, I want that cover so bad. And somebody's looking goes, well, I got a graded one. I can sell you a regular one at you know. At cost for twenty, or I'll sell you this one for fifty. I go, 
Yes, 50 bucks. <laughs> I'm like, you know, if the price is right, uh, like I got a, uh, I got an action 1000 uh, signed by Art, uh, not by Art Germ, but it's Art Germ's cover. It's his sketch variant. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's a sketch variant homage that he did. And it's it's signed by one of the writers that worked on the book. And uh, then I got, uh, I didn't get a Detective 1000 signed or graded, but I, I got a copy of each one that DC released. And the other one I have, the only other one I have graded is uh, Detective 800, that, the jock cover there. Okay. And I've got a triple sign, so. Now, do you make your way to many shows? Uh, yeah, well, I can get, um, I'm like in Southern Mass, uh, not far from Rhode Island, so uh, I get press passes, and I, you know, when we could go to conventions, like last year I covered uh, Rhode Island Comic Con for uh, Outright Geekery. Yep. So there's there's like uh, there's shows in mass I can go to. I can go to I can go to Boston Comic Con or it's Boston Fan Fest now because you know they're like screw the comics we make all our money off of celebrities and push the comics. Well, I think to the back. part of that is also they have to the 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 guy Comic Con International or something has sued the other convention so they can't use the word Comic Con in their title anymore. So yeah, they gotta they gotta like work around everything. Yeah, so I think I think part of maybe what that rebranding is is not so much we need to suck the celebrity dick as that we need to change our name so that we don't have to pay Comic Comic Con International this fee. Yeah, to but so just, you do get out to shows. Is that where you get your book signed and stuff? I mean, yeah, when you, when you cover a show, do you come there? Are you one of those guys? That wheels in a short box and like I gotta go get all this stuff done. Uh no, but I'll I'll bring a I'll bring a backpack with a couple portfolios. Yeah. So uh last November I had a blast because I got to meet one of my childhood comic book heroes and he was in a good mood. Uh I hung out and sh shot the shit talking, you know, talking the world of comics and you know, other things with Neil Adams for a good like close to an hour. Oh, right on. Um, and I I hung out for quite a while talking to talking to Graham Nolan. And then some dude that was dressed as his iteration, the, the original version of Bane, came came walking by in costume and asked Grant to take a picture. And this dude was like seven foot two. <laughs> so he was Bane, and Graham works out all the time, so he's all jacked, you know. And he's standing next to Bane. He just looks like a little person. That's awesome. Uh, I uh, I get to sit down and talk with uh, Bill McKay for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, Tom Mandrake. Uh, I think his name's Christopher Priestley. He's he's writing the Vengeance of Vampirella for uh, Dynamite. Um, who there? Oh, Mike Grell. A uh, bunch bunch of a uh, bunch of indie guys were there. Uh, Cartoonists, you know, I I hang out on the comic book floor. I don't go up to uh, to 
you know, go around the celebrities. They had like some down on that floor, like, you know, over, over in the corner, there were like the lines to buy, you know, your overpriced tickets to, uh, you know, lose a paycheck to get a, you know, an autograph and a, and a picture. Yeah. And I'm like, no, but there, there's, there's some like, uh, like some of the wrestlers know me from various shows and stuff that I've covered, that I've covered in the past. I used to cover a lot more, you know, before I was in the chair, uh, last year. Are you, are you wheelchair bound now? Is that what you're saying? I, yeah, I, I can, I can stand, I can like walk short distances with a walker, Mm -hmm. but I can't like stand and walk by myself. Okay. Now when you, are you, are you, do you have like a hover round or do you have like a, a wheelchair? I have both. Last year, I was in a manual wheelchair covering Rhode Island Comic Con. Did you have big arms by the time you were done? Well, you know, this gives me the big arms. You know, it's a lonely night. Ah, you're a switch hitter. <laughs> you know, sometimes you got to sit on your hand so it feels like somebody else. <laughs> but I got, I got a, I got the electric motorized wheelchair. But by the time they got me this, like two days later, they were like. COVID, we're locked down. Nobody leave their house. Oh, so you haven't got to break it in yet. So I haven't, you know, I've gone out to doctor's appointments now, which is, you know. I mean, like convention-wise, you haven't got a chance to sit oh, down no. and, and cruise Artist Alley. Oh, no, I haven't, I haven't been able to do that because, I mean, last year I'd be like, excuse me, excuse me, and people would, like, cut in front of me, stop, and stop texting Oh yeah, and then, and then get mad when I like ran into their shins. Yeah. Well, so, this, I, I don't I don't want to get into it, man. Pete, uh, the the world that we live in is is very selfish. Not that we need to get into that. This is us talking about selfish Americans is not going to lead to any kind of outright geekery. I promise. Oh yeah. So I also want to uh, jump back into on topic. Uh, you actually did a story in Cthulhu Invades Oz. Cthulhu Invades Oz is a project put together by Travis Gibb, the Gibster. Um, I've seen that you've had a couple of the contributors on your show before. Yeah, um, uh, Travis was on just a few weeks ago before, before it wrapped up. Like the last week it was uh, still live. Yeah, so Travis... Uh, had reached out and and he has a group. He's one of the Florida boys, so that little Florida team of creators is always in each other's ear. And David Byrne is one of his friends that's down there. And David Byrne is a comic book creator. And David in, signed up for to do a. He said, as far as I know, here's how here's how I was introduced. David sends me an email, and I've known David because he ran a comic book shop in Florida. That, that flew me down for a weekend. I did some exclusive stuff with them. And then when it came to started doing some scout stuff, I was familiar with him because he was kind of like in the back house of scout. Like he wasn't official scout, but he was still tied to those people. So I had dealt with him at that level. And he, he sent me an email and said, Hey man, would you like to be a part of this project and be the artist? I'm going to write something for this anthology. Uh, it's about Cthulhu invading the Wizard of Oz, and here's a list of, you know, characters that we can pick from. Which one do you think that you'd like to draw the most? And so I looked at the list, 
and to me, my head only knows the characters from the movie, and none of those characters were on the list. It seemed like it was fun. And since I have a tougher time drawing like human faces and stuff, kind of, I wanted to go with a more creaturey. Something needs to be a creature. So I looked through the list and I was like, oh, Pumpkinhead Jack, that sounds like a pretty cool little, you know, nightmare before Christmas kind of feel to it. So I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll work on I'll, that's the one I would pick. And then so David uh, hit me back and shortly thereafter sent me a 10 page script. I took that 10 page script and I sent it off to uh, to a guy named Mark in the Philippines or in Thailand or the Philippines that was doing my layout work at the time because doing pages isn't my strong suit. So he did the layouts. And then when I got him back from Mark, I did all the finishing stuff and I worked with David to get the panels good. And then once we all agreed that the 10 pages were where they needed to be, I, I, uh, I sent them back to David. David was happy with them and he sent them to the colorist. And then next thing you know, they're in the book. And I think we have the longest story inside the Cthulhu Invades Oz. I don't think any other contributor did 10 pages. Yeah, they, like even even his story, because uh, he sent me like PDF stuff to uh, check yeah. out before uh, before the interview and... Mm -hmm. Even even his story, I think it was like six, like five or six pages. Yeah, so I, I did that. And then a, a late addition towards the end of the Kickstarter campaign, um, I went I flew back down to Florida again to do a comic book release that I uh, for another comic book that I worked on called The Recount. Yeah, I, I know. I was I was live with you that morning. Remember? Oh, that's right. That's right. Well, I'm, 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 I'm educating the audience, so I'm just trying to like cover everything because I don't want to forget anything. So I was down in Florida, and I met the crew at the the Comic Collective, and one of the guys there is uh is friends with the Gibster, and uh, the Gibster offered the the Danny a one page story. To, that could be included in the Wizard of Oz so that Danny could be a, a credited uh, writer. And so I was listening. So Danny was so nice to me and all the stuff that happened down there. I was like, you know what? I'll do, I'll do the artwork. If it's only one page, I'm pretty sure I can fumble my way through how to do one page of storytelling without having to use a, a layout guy. And so Danny got excited. And then so... After the Kickstarter closed, or like the day before it closed, Danny sent me the script for his one page. And then, so that's what this owl is from. This is from Danny's, uh, uh, the, uh, what is the ignorant owl or some shit from Wizard of Oz? It's something about, a, like, the, it's actually like a stupid owl and a smart donkey or a team in the Wizard of Oz or something, but. So that's what that's from. So I actually did two. I'm part of two stories inside the Cthulhu Invades Oz book. Now, when I was talking to Travis on, on the episode he was on, he was plugging you because word, word is that... Uh, this could be your your last and only 
uh, interior art that you were going uh, cover cover only? <laughs> well, that's only because I, I realized that I'm not good at it. So with that being said, like, so the interiors of, of this book, uh, you can see there's three names right there. Like, so one of the last one is Dawson. Uh, it's kind of, I don't know if I can get that right there. Here we go. So Dawson, Brian Dawson is, um, is the guy that I, I tagged to do the layouts for this book. But um, he did much more than layouts. Like his layouts were very, almost to the point they were pencils. Not quite, but they were very, very detailed. So that's why if you look like in this book, instead of just giving him a layout credit, I credit him and myself for just being the artist. So uh, let's see, where is it? Right here. I'm trying to get it. So we're we're just like co-artists on the book. So I did, I did the inking. I did all of the finished inks and everything in the book. And then I also did the coloring. Yeah, it looks great. But so this is technically, but. Yeah, I'm not doing interior. So the next Loggerhead book that's being currently being done called Loggerhead Cold Blood, I didn't even write it. And I'm not even drawing it. <laughs> I'm not even doing it. I might as well not even be here. So uh, the next Loggerhead book is called Loggerhead Cold Blood. And it's written by Jonathan Hedrick from The Recount. And then I, I got a, a new person because Brian is unavailable at the moment to take new projects and work with us. So I found another artist that I'm working with, Ram, Ram Silva, and he is actually doing the interior for the artwork for the loggerhead cold blood. And then I will also color it. Oh, cool. Yeah. But are, are you going to, are you going to do a variant cover for the book that, for the book of the character you created? I will. It won't even be a variant. I'm doing the cover. Like I'm going, you're like, doing the main. I will do all the covers. I don't need to pay someone to do something I already do. You know, so even like, uh, like all, I did four covers for uh, the Star Bastard Loggerhead team up, and I drew all four of them. They were just different versions. Like, so when I put these projects together, when, so Loggerhead Cold Blood, I'm paying the guy to draw the interior pages. And I'm going to just draw the cover because that's kind of what I do. That's what I think I excel at. So I will try to showcase what I excel at and minimize what I don't excel at, which is the interior shit. And I also find it boring. And it's not, it's, it's not, it's not what excites me. It's not, it's an art form to doing pages. And I don't think that I fully have the skill set more the passion to do the page art. And I just, it doesn't work for me. So, but doing the cover works where I can, where I can take my time with a single image and have a lot of fun with it and, and just do that the best I can. That's what I like doing the most. It, it, before, before we even get there, I like writing the most out of everything. 
you like writing the most, but you don't do any of it. Well, no, 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 no. All right. I do write, but I didn't write the next start. The, the reason, the reason that I didn't do the next loggerhead is because there's a character inside that book that Jonathan created to live in the world of loggerhead. And with him being the creator of that character, he almost asked me if he could write the loggerhead story because he's like, he's like, Brian, loggerhead seems like a very fun character. I hope to write for it. I'd like to write that character one day. And I was like, well, let's fucking do it now, man. So I don't want to be to the point where I'm like, no, it's mine. You can't have it. I know what he's supposed to do. I, I, the reason I created the stuff that I did inside of Care of Prime was to spark creativity and create, uh, create things that other people deem cool enough that they'd like to also play with. So I want to create this world of Care of Prime. I want to create these players that live in Care of Prime. And I want people to say, dude, I really like the world. I like the characters. I'd like to come play with your toys. And then when they come and play with my toys, they're like, oh, shit, you know what? I need to make my own toy. And now our toys can go play together. And ipso facto, switch it all around, I help create more stuff without me having, like, it, that is what I want. And so that, to me, even though technically that part isn't writing, it's more just creating something, but you can't do that without the writing part. So I don't know. I, I, I yes, I am an unproven writer, but I promise, I promise, there is some stuff happening now that will alleviate any uh, any doubt whether or not I'm a writer. I'll be a writer that also does covers. I want to flash back to the. Uh to the signing that you guys did with uh, Danny down at the collective. Yep. Because as a joke, I turned around. I think he just eliminated himself. Do not know what just happened, but I believe that he was about to show us some sort of breath covering device. Oh, I'm back. <laughs> Yeah, did you kick yourself out? Yeah, I, I, I swiped the I swiped the corner of my keyboard and it, it I kicked myself out. But yeah. Yes, that is my artwork. That is and, the, and I didn't even know it was your artwork. I just I go I go, this kind of looks like Brian's cover from Recount. So I'll just wear it as a joke because I know they're all gonna be wearing masks at the store. Yeah. But, Dude, that's my artwork on your face. I go, well, it looks better than my face. So, so yeah, the, the thing behind that, so I did 30 designs for that company, SA Fishing Company. Mm -hmm. And I was given a list of, I want you to make masks that look like these people, but are close enough to where we won't get sued by the IP holders. So that one is obviously the Joker. And if you look, I tried to uh, the little blue the little blue triangles 
are from the the Joaquin Phoenix Joker. So that's why those little blue triangles are there. So I tried my best to kind of give it the Joaquin Phoenix paint job, but more of the, the cartoon Joker smile with the millions of teeth. And and the blood all over his face, yeah. Yeah. So I did a – that was fun. And, and that seems to be one of the more popular uh, – of the ones that I did, I, they don't even have some of the ones I did on the website. So I did that one, and the Jason Voorhees one is is, a, is kind of popular. Well, they had, uh, I think it was, I'm not sure what whether it was SA or, or one of the other companies had had ones uh, that were ipso facto, uh, we don't want to get sued, but they did like, you know, a venomish. One. I, did, I did a venom one too, but mine had a forked tongue, so that way it would be different. So it has like this tongue that comes out, but it ends in a fork. And I was like, "All right, well, it's obviously not venom because venom doesn't have a forked tongue, so we're free and clear." Yeah, until Donnie Kate steals that idea too. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I did. He, but, uh, so I take it by the way that your your tone went that you're not a Donnie Kate's fan. Now, but you say that you don't read current comic books. So is it is it Donny Cates' politics or the, his arrogant attitude that has put you off? Because it doesn't sound like you would have read anything that he did. No, I actually have. I and uh, I was angry at myself because I enjoyed crossover. Oh, now, so so your 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 dislike for Donny Cates is so bad that you feel guilty when you like something that he did. Well, I don't, I don't like his his attitude, and I try to keep all the, I try to keep all the politics out of it. You know, I just want to, you know, I just want to talk about the comic, and you know, if it's a good story, it's a good story. Uh, so you don't like him as a person, or you don't like him as a writer? Uh, he, I wasn't like completely thrilled, you know, with. With all the crap he did with you know the the whole uh, cosmic ghost rider thing. And now why not? Why not? Because that shit was fire. Look, it was so ludicrous. What he what he does he he does like insane stuff. Yeah. That goes. We should never do this. Let's do this. And no, no. But he, hear me out. All right. So. Donny Cates is doing shit right now in the Marvel comics that is just so outlandish, right? Making mashups and characters and Silver Surfer's evil and, and Thor has that, uh, Silver Surfer has the hammer, all kinds of crazy shit that you never thought you would see, correct? And you're not willing to accept that because it's not what you grew up with. But comic books as a physical medium have been taking a dive because they continuously do the same shit over and over and over and get mad when it's not paying off. Oh, my gosh. This title's failing. Let's give him a new outfit and let's make him a girl. All right. Let's give this person a new outfit and we'll make them gay. So they keep doing all of these things. Instead of saying, well, why don't we just write the craziest shit we can and see what happens? So I think what, in my head, in my head, as, it, as 
a creative individual, I hope. Um, he, he's, Donnie sees how boring and mundane some of the cut and paste stories of comic books are. And he's like, in his dream world, this is how I pictured it. This is this weird, trippy shit that I created in my head. And then when he tells Marvel, hey, Marvel, I've got this weird, trippy shit I'm about to do. And Marvel is struggling to, to come up with new shit and keep readers. They're like, you know what? We'll give it a shot. And if the people buy it, we'll continue to go with it. And what happened is, is, the, Mar is the readers are down for something new. So I, I think people like yourself and people that have been collecting for a long period of time may be like, that's not the way we do things around here. Like this isn't the comic books I grew up with. And so that so that these writings aren't geared for you. These writers are geared for people that have just now gotten into comic books and and they don't have that, well, this is the way it used to be done idea. It's much for me, it's just like wrestling. I really liked the attitude era. And when I watch the shit that the WWE is putting on now, it does nothing but infuriate me because it is terrible, terrible, terrible wrestling programming. But it might be that I was just, this is my wrestling, the attitude error, and I might not be receptive, but had I come into wrestling right now and never really gotten to experience, uh, you know, Sting when he was ooh, in, the, in the surfer paint, you know, it might be different if I'm jumping into wrestling now. So I treat comic books the same way. This Donny Cates and that style of stuff that he's doing is not geared for people that are seeing characters that they've admired and grown up with doing shit that they know would have never been done in the past. And that's probably why you read the crossover where you don't have any preconceived notion of any of these characters because... They didn't, you don't have an attachment to what they were before he was writing them. So you, you like this story that Donnie has created because you're not going into it with an attitude with that's not how the comic store owner was when I was growing up. So may, maybe, maybe that's, and that's the way I process it in my head. Well, I was one of the comic store managers and I was, when I, when I tell you I was a clone of the, the Simpsons comic book store guy. <laughs> oh fuck I was yeah what an asshole <laughs> but uh what I, I I don't know how to word it the right way yep uh, but he found a formula that works for him so when he goes from title to title he does a similar formula structure wise to that character or book and it, it, it works like I don't I don't see why that would suck like why, why you would have a disdain for him because the way you word that is he finds what works and then he just does it with a different set of characters motherfucker that is how everything is done people find the secret ingredients and then they'll put that shit in bacon bits they'll put that shit in nuggets They'll put it on French fries because they found the secret formula that works. This this was this was my 
issue and what what irks me with with the two is the two have one character on each side. DC, it's friggin' Harley Quinn. Marvel, it's fucking Venom. All right. And like you you talking about like a character that's overdone. Over overdone, oversaturated, everything. Commercial part. It was Deadpool for a while. Yeah, it was. And then that, you know, you know, I, I think they oversaturated him so much. It's like, oh, yeah, cool. It's Deadpool. Flip through, put it back on the shelf. Well, the, the reason that Deadpool stuff, it, it was it, he was everywhere, is because they were trying to sell comic books. And so they had to water him down to spread him out so anybody could write him. Mm-hmm. in their story and not maybe even fully understand like a Deadpool voice. So that was Marvel just being uh, commercial as opposed to being we want to create more character depth. We want to generate money, not character depth. That, so that's their fault for letting that happen. And that and that's the same thing. We can venomize everything and get all this extra money because not only do they like Daredevil, but a venomized daredevil. Let's do that. Or and so they and then they do this. So you have to pull back. It, it makes it harder to find stories that deal with that character that aren't generated simply to generate money. Yeah. Well, I mean, I like Venom as a character, and my favorite, my favorite, oh, Ven- <coughs> my favorite Venom arc was actually Agent Venom. Okay, that was the Flash Thompson stuff. That wasn't even Eddie Brock. Nope. I like that because Flash got his legs blown off and Symbiote like went on to him and he went like all super soldier. Like he was like a, a like a mix of Venom, Steve Rogers, and uh Frank Castle. Oh, I mean he and, had like a war machine suit, like the way that it got onto him. But so I, I think so. I think what Marvel is having a tough time doing is balancing uh, monetizing the commercial to the pub, to the non comic book public, just the people that like the movies and the I want to be cool, so I need to get that Deadpool comic and not ever read it. Like they need to, they're having a tough time separating that from the people that enjoy the character of Wade Wilson or Eddie Brock or Flash Thompson. Or Harleen Quinzel, they're having a tough time. And you, as the consumer, you like this part. This part generates a lot more money. This part is much smaller. And you have to find that needle in a haystack of Deadpool stuff or Harley stuff because there's so much of it out there. But there's somebody involved, I promise you, that still enjoys creating and writing for those characters. You have to wait through so much that you give up trying to look. Like, oh, oh, yeah. Another fucking Deadpool guest appearance. Good grief. Another fucking Venomized character. Oh, Venom's got a dad now. So they've really, Marvel has allowed the characters to get beat to death to where if you did have an attachment to that character, you almost want to distance yourself because now you feel like a bandwagon bastard. Yeah, and it's it's just uh, you know, 
oversaturation and then you get like the kids that you know i was like Seventeen, eighteen, when uh, when Venom first, you know, came on the scene. Yeah, Spider-Man three hundred or yeah, three hundred. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but there's these other kids that you know were little little kids, like five, six, seven years old, that grew up on Venom, and you know that's that's their comic book god is Venom. And Donnie came around, and he did this crazy thing and he got popular and and all the venomites were like Donny Cates ooh, ooh. I'm like well, well but and, and I thought I go yeah he's good but is he that good I don't well here I don't see it he's he's creating shit that didn't fucking exist whereas everybody else that that, that was writing is trying to Figure out a new spin on this, or let's retcon some of this, or this, like he. Not only is he taking, he's taking the world that we already knew. The only thing we knew is that symbiotes came from another planet in the fucking Secret Wars, and somehow got like that's all we knew. But instead, Donnie has said, "Well, has anyone fucking ever explored that part of it?" And he's giving us. So nothing that he's doing is retconning anything. He's simply adding to stuff. And, and so he's not, I, I just, I don't know. He, he's he's making making something where there was nothing. Well, I look, I look at the Black King and all I see is Elric. I don't know what that means. That's another character. I know you don't, you don't read a lot. Uh, Michael Moorcock's uh, Elric. It's... It's an it, it's an older character. Elric was actually in a crossover, two issues of the of Volume One of Conan with Marvel. Uh, I think right, like so you're saying and fourteen in physical appearance. That's what you think this character looks like. Yeah, but you have no idea what the character makeup of the character is. So you're simply basing this on visual, right? Yeah. All right. Well, then there could be more to it because oh, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure there's more to it. the The thing that he really pissed me off with. Remember the uh, the the uh, when they relaunched New Warriors the other year. The, I didn't know that they did that, but I, I'm familiar with the New Warriors. Uh, this wasn't those New Warriors. Oh, this was social justice. Uh, Alphabet people, new warriors. Okay. Uh, you know they had silly, over the over the top names, and you know, and it was it was made up. Uh, it was team diversity. Okay. And when the comic book community said, "This is this is shit. We don't want to read this garbage." All right. Uh, Donnie jumped on social media. And told everybody literally to go fuck themselves that you have no right to say anything about anything. It's like, really? So the community that buys all your stuff, that buys books like, you know, every every Tuesday or Wednesday, has no right to ex express an opinion. And of course, you know, 
within like you know 12 hours of course he deleted he deleted that but i've got a i've got a copy of it somewhere in a file but so i understand what you're saying but i i i'd like to believe like in my mind then don't buy the fucking comic book oh yeah that doesn't but it, I, did, I, it, I, it didn't it didn't sell and it you know it crashed and burned quickly that but that's fine so but for him so his comment is not worded the, the comment that you quoted to me was not eloquently done and it may not have but the message is clear if you guys don't like it then don't buy it but you can't say whether or not something needs to be made because I myself am not a gay Italian male, right? So if they make a character that has a gay Italian male as the lead, I'm probably not going to care too much about that because it doesn't deal with anything that I want that, that, that appeals to me, but I will not get online and say, they shouldn't make a character that is gay Italian because nobody reads that shit. Because if I don't want to read it, then I shouldn't, I just won't purchase it. I don't need to, I don't need to put things down that weren't designed with me in mind. Right. Because then I'm just adding to the problem by bitching about shit that it's, it goes back for me. It goes back to the golden rule. If you don't have something to say, then don't say anything at all. Just go off and do what you're going to do. So for me, if I have these two comic books right here, and I really hated this, well, I, don't, I really didn't like this comic book, and I really loved this one, instead of getting online and saying, this is the biggest piece of shit comic book, I can't even see why anybody made it a comic book, that's going to get more clicks than for me to post and say, I really loved this comic book and I really enjoyed the art. Which one of those videos is gonna get more clicks? The one where I go off like a shithead and I, and I put somebody down, but the one where I promote somebody and talk about things that I enjoy won't get the clicks, but that's the way that Brian will try, that tries to conduct himself. And I think that more people should adopt the attitude of, instead of putting something down Let's talk about something that you do like. Let's talk about something that does make you happy instead of saying something that doesn't. I just, <coughs> we're, we're, we're click baiting each other. Like, we're, everybody's so thirsty for attention that they're willing to sacrifice what they believe in their heart to be the right thing simply so that their video can have more views than your video and that their video can get them this more, like, the priorities are are are, are askew. Oh, In my world. But I mean, who the well, fuck am I? I'm just one dude, right? You're just one dude. Because it can't be more than one dude, right? Not yet. But if you believe in, in alternate realities and shit, I could be like five different dudes on five different realities. Yeah, well one of them would be one of them would bound to be cool. Like if I, I could be I could be the most dumb piece of shit of the five. So there could be a really cool version of Brian somewhere out there. I just got a way for him to hop in his DeLorean and find me. It's like even when I do my reviews, 
even if it's a book I don't like, it's reflected in, you know, I rate everything like, you know, on a scale of like one to five. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it'll be, you know, but I don't, I've, I've never, I think I, in like five years, I might have rated like one book at a 1.5. Well, I'm not, and, and, and that's where it gets confusing. If, if, if you got, if you have to be con- provide criticism, then there is proper channels and proper ways to do that. For instance, like if your book scored a one point five, then maybe don't review that book if you don't want to come across like you're slamming it. Just, you know what I'm saying? Just an idea like that, or you you list all the things that you had issue with, and then you end it with a positive note and say, all that aside, the cover art and the lettering were outstanding. But overall, I still have to give it a 1.5. When you phrase stuff that way, it leaves the impression that, oh, okay, well, there was some good stuff. But if you say, hey, the cover for this book is great, but fuck the art, fuck the writing, the lettering looks like shit, and we've already forgotten that you said the good thing at the beginning of the video. So... If, if I was to ask you to review something and it was terrible, I would like for you to provide me all the examples of things that you did not like and close out your statement with something that you did find refreshing. And if you're going to put somebody's shit down, if you're going to slam somebody and you know what good looks like, like if I say uh, you drew this owl and you're like, Brian, can you review it? Rather than say, uh, you know what, man, it, that owl just looks like shit. Well, what, what, what do you think is wrong? I don't know. It just, it just looks like shit. But if I were to say that, you know, maybe the, the, maybe the, the uh, proportions of his feet are off. Uh, maybe the anatomy. If you can offer suggestions on the things that you say suck. Do you know what I mean? Like if you can say, oh, the lettering stuck, or tell me why it stuck and what would be, what would have made it better. Don't just say it stuck. Tell me, you know, the kerning is off, or I think you jammed too many words in a bubble, or I didn't like the font size. Instead of saying just this thing stuck, be able to criticize and give me feedback, even though you're being critical. You know what I mean? So if I can't offer somebody, like I try to do that at any time someone asks for my opinion or what I think, if I think something is less than what it should be, I will try my best to include what I feel could have improved whatever it was that I didn't like. And and a lot of people don't do that. They just fuck this, they suck by the body. Ah, fucking tune in, like, click, subscribe, smash that like button. That's all they want to do. No, I'll, I, I always, what I always do is I always give some, some form of constructive criticism. You know, of course my, it's my opinion, but I try to leave something on a, on a positive note. Well, good, good. That's you know, on, on everything. Cause I'm like, you know, the worst comic book you've ever read in the world is still better than one that I could do. So no, 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 no. Let's let's not do that because we don't want to downplay yourself. But it's still a complete fucking finished 
comic book project. That is something worth noting. Mm -hmm. Whether it sucks or whether it was poorly written or poorly colored, whoever that creative team was put out a finished product. Where's your finished product? And I don't mean that to you personally, but I'm saying like in general, it is quite the accomplishment to have a finished comic book or a finished book oh, yeah. any kind. And for someone to donkey punch someone that has put in a lot, whether or not it's good, they have still put in a lot of time, effort, and hard work, whether or not the product is good. So I think what gets overshadowed is for independent stuff, not, not so much Marvel and DC, but on the independent scene, a lot of people want to just smash something because uh, the art was subpar or whatever. But if it's a great story and the guy that put that together wasn't made out of fucking money, then maybe he couldn't hire Jim Lee to do his interior panels. But was the story good? Did you understand what was going on? Let's admire that guy for putting together this finished project. I hope next time he can he, he steps up the art name on the project. There's just better ways to say things and get things done. Oh, one one hundred percent. Yeah, I I try to put a put a positive spin onto it because you know being negative is easy. Yeah, that, that that's why so many people are fucking doing it. So mm -hmm. many people. A lot. The, the The idea of the average human being on this planet is going to take the easiest route to wherever they need to be. And the easiest route to attention or the easiest thing to do is to put somebody else down instead of doing the work to make yourself shine. Mm -hmm. Stomping their feet and putting up a shit storm to, yeah. get, the, to get the attention. And then, you and know. What happens is the, pers the people that are doing that are appeasing their 49 other percent of people that are doing the same thing. But the other half of us that recognize what's going on, we're like, ah, that's just not how you're supposed to fucking do that. Stop being an asshole. Yeah, I know. It's just, it's just crazy. Because there's, there's, there's so much, I think there's more talent out there in the indie world right now than, than there is in, in mainstream. Well, only because there's more room. I, like, I think the percentage is going to be the same. Like if you say DC and Marvel combined is this, they're going to have 65% top-notch creators, whether they're writers, artists, or whatever. And if you take the indie community, even though it's going to be a larger amount of people that contribute to the indie community, I still think that it'll probably be about the same percentage of top-notch talent. There'll just be more of them but the percentages will remain the same. Yeah, because well, because now is the it's it's never been easier to actually make a comic book than it is right now. Oh, really? Enlighten me to how easy it is to make a comic book. Okay, so well, I'm talking about in current in in current day. I'm listening. Okay, I'd like well, to know an easy way to make comic books. Well, 25 years ago, you would okay, have okay. You, now, I did not realize that you were going to compare it to a time in the past. I thought you meant like it's easy now. Compared to 1970, 1980, even 1990s, yes, with the advent of the Internet and Facebook, it is way easier 
than in those times, but that does not take away how much effort is involved in putting one together. Oh, no, that there is there is a shit ton of work involved, and that's just, you know, attempting to put a project together before you even, you know, indie-wise, before you even have to think about money. All, all, <laughs> well, not even just the money, but all the work that has to go in for all the crap you have to do, uh, say, on Kickstarter. Or you know, or Indiegogo, to you know, to set up your to set up your campaign and get everything rolling. You know, you just finished one. Yeah, and I'm gonna have to be starting to set up a new one. Hold on one second. I'm looking. I just got tasked with a new cover project that I've never dealt with these people before, and I need to ask them for more source material so I can see more about this character. Okay, cool. I'll I'll give a I'll give our uh, sponsor a shout out. So check out Spinwiz Comics at spinwizcomics.com. It is an absolutely free platform. You can download it both on Android and iOS. You can read all kinds of independent and web comics right there on the spot. And this is what it could look like on your device. Yeah, Jeff runs Spinwiz, right? Yeah. Yeah, Jeff Jeff should be getting his copy of Care of Prime handbook in the mail shortly if he hasn't gotten it already. I I haven't talked to him recently. But uh yeah, I was I was expecting to hear from him cuz he's got a uh he's got a year-end uh big giveaway uh PR for uh Spinwiz coming up, so. Right on. We're uh, we're waiting to uh, see how that goes, and I know uh, your buddy Jonathan Hendrick has a whole bunch of uh, books up on Spinwiz as well. I, I know that he he has them on Spinwiz, but I'm not sure if it's which titles they are. I'm not sure if it's the Freak Show Night or the Capable because uh, I know Freak Show Princess is up there and uh, his superhero books. His superhero book is that the Capable one? Yeah, the girl in the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Because I know that he's launching. I think next week he's launching the uh, capable number three Kickstarter, and I think that he already signed over Freak Show Night to Second Sight Publishing. So that's all I know, other than the stuff that he may or may not be doing with Care Prime. I'm just saying, so Jonathan Jonathan is my go-to guy for Kara Prime stuff now. So I created it on my own, but once I started communicating with Jonathan, I could see that maybe this is somebody I need to to I need I need I need a partner. Like I can't some of the stuff I, I need a, a bounce off. I need someone to spitball with. I need another talented, driven individual. And so when I talk to him and everything, he he seems all in on Kara Prime. And so the two of us will be cultivating more stories inside the world of Kara Prime, regardless of publisher or regardless of platform on which you'll be able to back and support them. 
when we come up with Kara Prime stories, uh, Jonathan will be heavily involved in in what we do to make make that happen. So pretty soon, Kara Prime will consist of Brian and Jonathan as a 100% unit. And then we're kind of like just making all this extra cool shit happen. That's the goal. And that's what we're like. He's currently writing uh, a full story inside the world of Kara Prime with characters that uh, have not been fully uh, made aware. So he's writing that story. Like we're writing that together. Like it was my kind of story and then he added some stuff. And then, so what we do is like, he writes a couple of pages and then sends it to me. And then I add the jokes and shit. And then he goes back to writing and then it comes back to me. So this is very much a, a joint writing venture that we're doing uh, for this book about space, the final frontier. And um, he, him and I are also working together on a humongous undertaking that I have that I am in charge of where we will be presenting uh, multiple stories using multiple characters from the handbook. So I'm trying to encourage people to look through the handbook and let it be known which characters in the handbook they'd like to see more of because it's coming fast and it's coming furiously to to a head that it'll be, before you know it, there'll be something on Kickstarter that has a a lot going on. <coughs> Possibly a team up of multiple characters in Caraprime. Let's just say this: like in in some of the most fun I think that I had when I was collecting comic books was Marvel Comics present. That type of stuff. Like multiple multiple store, store chapters did, of did, stories and I did like that. I liked how I could pick up one issue and have, you know, character A the first couple of pages and then maybe character B and C in the next couple and close it out with another character that were completely unrelated stories. So imagine that, but with characters from the handbook in a very much connected world that you'll be able to pop, pull in the similarities between the worlds and what's going on and the events and the, the backdrop for everything is very much connected, but the stories that are being told are very different and maybe even written differently by different people. KPP, Kara Prime Presents. Yes, that is very much what it's called. Uh, actually, it's called it's called uh, Tales from Kara Prime. It's close. Well, I had just in case I did have the font and everything made up that said Kara Prime Presents, but I I, I didn't. I thought that cover for a new property. It could be looked at as like Care Prime presents what, like to 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 the uninitiated, right? That's what it's going to look like. Mm -hmm. But if I put Tales from Care Prime, now you understand that there's something called Care Prime, and what's inside this book will have different stories about that. And so to me, that's much more clear 
of what you're getting into than than Kara Prime presents because Kara Prime presents feels like half a sentence. And since Kara Prime presents would not be a single person, like it wouldn't say Kara Prime presents loggerhead in blood runs red. Like that's that's a lot of fucking words to fit on the front. And now I've chewed up half of the cover, which is what most people are buying stuff for anyway, is the cover design. Mm-hmm. So I had I had to think in, in my head, what is the best way to present this to not be misleading and to have you get the full idea and still leave me enough real estate to put good artwork up there for people to be attracted to? Yeah, I think the tails works better, too. You know, because, you know, you had other books that were like that, too, with multiple stories in it. You know, Tales to Astonish, you know, uh, uh, Pacific Pacific Comics had something like that, too, with like their sci-fi stuff with like, you know, the Wally Wood style stuff. And part of the reason that I wanted to I I set it up with uh, this title is so that we don't have to worry about getting. Apex number one, apex number two, apex number three, and then we don't have to worry about getting deadlift number one, deadlift number two, because the ongoing title will be Kara Prime Presents. So when Kara Prime Presents has a story for deadlift, it'll be Tales from Kara Prime, uh, deadlift, you know, bloody bayou. So it'll have the same header and the same information without starting a completely new line of comics for you to be like, well, now when are we going to get deadlift number two? Or when are we going to get Kerr number one? It's all going to be, so the title to collect will be Tales from Kara Prime. And it'll just keep, it'll just keep going. Well, featuring different characters. Yes, yes. So the first thing that we're launching off the gate with to put this out into the into the universe is an anthology book. So this this trade will have like eighty pages of story inside of it with multiple characters for you to get for for the viewer or the reader to be like, all right, I kind of like this guy, I kind of like this guy, I kind of don't like that one so much. And then after that, when we go to the floppy issues, it'll be uh, Tales from Kara Prime. And then this may just be one story. And then this one is all about uh, Apex. You're like, all right, cool. And then the next one comes out, uh, Tales from Kara Prime. And this one may be like two 10-page stories in the same book. And then this one may be another book that has three five-page stories in it or something like that. And then... Because since it's such a small team and we're trying to uh, maintain continuity between all of the stuff, that as we get projects finished, we'll just we'll have to set them aside and wait for them to fit with something else. So we'll be like, all right, well, we're going to release this one to Kickstarter. This one's got an apex and a deadlift tail. Let's put that in there. And we're like, all right, cool. So we're creating all of these stories that don't necessarily follow the uh, issue one, issue two, issue three format. We're just trying to create cool stories with these characters, regardless of how many pages or how long the run is or whatever. We're just trying to make shit interesting. 
it's a it's it's probably a better format because you've got more flexibility to to go in and out you know instead of keeping like one big huge story arc you you can make all these different short stories that some way intertwine with each other but are you know are their own and I think that's be the fun part i think that is what will be attractive about this and another thing that it allows for is for jonathan to be creating his own thing me to be creating my own thing and we can also be working on a third project together and we can have a different artist that we tap for each one of the projects as long as they kind of are worthy of being in the book because you know if if so and so is not available to do my artwork well this is a completely new character so let's just bring in a new artist and work with this guy or this girl or this creator on this story and then when it comes time to come back to that project that they worked on i'll just put it on the back burner because i've got a project for that artist i've got a project for that artist and i've got a project like i've got all of these things going on at one time so that you the collector slash reader aren't always waiting You're, the the wait time between uh getting new content is going to be decreased because we're following so many different characters and short stories and longer stories and we've got this artist and that artist so it's gonna it's gonna always be some sort of uh something will always be at some stage of development and you, the collector should not have enough time to forget about us in between like when you do a kickstarter that's big like that and you, it could be another year before you put together the follow-up kickstarter and someone can forget about you and what you're doing in that year but if we narrow that down to like three months and you're putting something out every three months it's going to be harder to forget that i think that's the only drag time with the indie market is because you've got a you've got a bubble where if you catch it just right you can launch four you know four kickstarters a year but yeah. usually, usually it's like it's usually like three to four so it's it's not like this is something that you guys can put out on a monthly basis but you're working on multiple projects on top of the Kara prime stuff so yeah. Like, like this job I just got right now, it's, I'm going to do a cover. So I have to readjust my commissions and stuff because this cover has a deadline because it's going to put, it's going to the printer rather soon. So I need to, and I'm re dude, I'm really looking forward to doing this fucking cover too. Like this is a, I hadn't heard of this character. This is coming out from Aftershock. It's uh let's see what the title of this book is. It's called Maniac of New York, number one. So I'm going to do a cover for Maniac of New York, number one. Governor Cuomo. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But no, so that's, I mean, that's the big, that's the big thing that I'm working on right now. And I haven't put out a lot of information because I really want to, wait till closer to launch time for us on, on Kickstarter before we start telling uh, everyone who's involved. And because 
what this past year has done for me as far as being a creative individual, getting my first title uh, signed to Scout in February of this year. The book came out in July, which there was a long gap there. But during that whole time, I have been dealing with a lot of creators, you know, through Scout Comics. And then that also exposed me to other creators. And then those, like, so my, 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 my network in the in the indie comic book world has begun has begun to uh, expand, and so for this Kara Prime project, I have I have taking advantage sounds derogatory, but I have taken advantage of the fact that I have these new connections, and I have reached out to people and asked them to participate in this project, and some of the people that are a part of this project have completed other projects that have been published by by comic book publishers that are you know so it's 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 kind for me it's kind of a big deal like I, i'm not trying to tease like i don't have uh anybody from image or whatever like i don't have that, those type of people participating but at my level i have people participating that have done way more stuff than I have and have created more of a, a, a resume inside the world of comic books than I have. And to have them want to work with me on something that I am in charge of, it, it feels kind of special inside. You know what I mean? Like it's, you think that I'm cool enough? Well, you're obviously cooler than I am, but you want to work with me. So I must be kind of cool. So that's, so when I get to when I get to announce some of the people that are on this project, you'd be like, oh wow, that's fucking cool. Like I didn't, you know, I like that that person's other stuff that they did over here. What's it gonna look like now that they're teamed up with something that Brian's got going on? Yeah, it's it sounds like just everything's just falling into place. It, yeah, but it, when you say that, it makes it sound like there was almost little effort. Oh, no, no. And, and that's not you. That's just when people say everything's falling into place. Motherfucker, I did, and this is not, motherfucker's not directed to you, but motherfucker, I have put in a, a, a lot of, of work and a lot of things to get to where I am to afford me the ability to have things fall into place. Do you know what I mean? Like that, they say there's no such thing as luck. It's where It's where preparedness and opportunity meet or something like that. And I feel that I have been doing the due diligence to afford myself to be in a position to take advantage of when the opportunity shows up. And that's what's happening. So falling into place is being like, to say that, that, that figure of speech feels very much like, oh, well, you didn't do much. You just, fortunately, things are just happening to you in the right way. No, motherfucker, I did work to be where that fucking lottery ticket was going to blow into my car with the window down and and it was a winning lottery ticket like i put myself in that in that position so that yeah. wasn't a knock on you it's just that 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 turn of phrase that sounds like it, it can come across as oh you didn't do anything it just kind of happened for you and and that could not be farther from from what is truly happening yeah it it kind of cheapens it a little bit yeah 
and and that's one thing I like. So I, I now that I'm older, I'm starting to deconstruct the way that things are said, and recognizing when somebody speaks to you with condescension in their voice, like giving backhanded compliments and stuff like that. Like I'm no longer tolerating that as a human being. I will straight up call you out to your face if you are going to give me this backhanded compliment where, and I recognize that that's what you're doing because a lot of people wouldn't recognize it and you've been getting away with it. So I, I just, I, so I've been deconstructing like the way that things are said, because not only that, when I write them, when I write it for, for a character or something, I need to know that this, the way that this phrase comes out is a little condescending. So if that's what I want my character to say, then I need to, I've just I've just started to take note of shit like that more as I'm older and as I start trying to put together characters that have ways of doing things. I need to recognize speech patterns and words and common phrases that people that operate the way that the characters are operating so that I can include them and it doesn't feel like forced dialogue when you watch those fucking movies where you're just like, this has this guy ever seen a police officer before? Does he even know? Like when you watch these movies and police officers or military people or surgeons are just doing stuff, if you don't know, then you're just like, all right, well, that must be how it's done. But when a cop watches a movie and the cops are just doing completely ludicrous stuff that no police officer in their right mind would do, then that's the fault of the writer and the creative team of not doing the research. And, and so... I want to, when I create stuff, I want to make sure that I have done my pretty bestest to uh, to, to get it right and, and not be easily um, called out for not for not being a genetic scientist. Like I need to Google the right word and watch some videos and stuff to kind of make sure that's how things would do it before I write that a scientist just dips his finger inside the goo and decides to pick his ass. Like if, if that doesn't happen, then there's no way that I should write that for an educated doctorate of science to dip his finger into a solution and then go to picking something out of his teeth. Like, so that's the type of writing and the type of things that I try to avoid. It, but yeah, you, you want to you like, do your dil- do di- due diligence on subject matter that you're, that you're, you know, coming up with. At least a little bit. And for me, I think deconstructing the speech and the way that people talk is, is me kind of doing my due diligence for when it comes time to writing dialogue for characters and stuff. I'd like to have it sound like real people say these things and not some fucking, that sounds like a speech to text speaking spell. You typed in, what are you having for dinner? No one fucking says that in the South or, you know, wherever this character is from, you know? So that's forced me to listen to the way that people talk a little bit close, more closely. It's, it's different. What is different? Well, cause you're deconstruct instead of just, you know, thinking of, well, that sounds good and just writing it down. That you're putting more you're putting more thought into what you're coming up with. Yeah, but here's the thing: I'm doing that 24 hours a day, not just when I'm writing, 
I'm listening to the way that the commercial talks to me. I'm listening to the way the doctor's office talks to me, the salesman on the phone. I'm always listening to the tone, the speech pattern and stuff like that. Because, and I try to catalog anything that I notice into the databank so that when I do go to writing, I can just go to writing and pull from the cues and stuff that I've picked up. So I can't turn this off. My detail orientation, I'm very, when it comes to noticing things, I'm very, very, like it's my superpower is to try to notice stuff. And it lent myself well to while I was a cop for seven years, it's the, the way that you articulate things, the way that you write things down, the way that you observe this behavior and the way that you observe that speech pattern. If you're good at observing, it makes the job much more easy. So I, I've I can't turn that off. So even though I don't do police stuff anymore, I am still hyper observant is the word that I use. I'm still hyper observant and what that does is it allows me to create this pool of information that when it comes time to write, I can use that pool of information. Since it's already going to be up there, let's find a use for it. Yeah. Once you, once you start doing something all the time, it's, you know, always there. Like if you're yeah. used to, you know, if, you know, when, when you're like 16 years old, if you're used to getting up at four o'clock in the morning to go to work, every, you know, in the summer and, you know, go do, you know, yard work or whatever you're going to do, you just start getting up at like four o'clock in the morning for like the rest of your life, yeah. you know, which will suck because I'm usually just going to bed at four o'clock in the morning. But Yep. So that's the way I approach things now, man. We're coming up on two hours. I thought you said we're going to talk for a couple of minutes. We were, and you just kept talking. It just went on and on and on. Yeah, I, I have been known to talk a little bit. Just a little bit. In my day-to-day -day, day -day life, I don't get a whole lot of, of speech. Like, I go entire days without saying more than 10 words out loud. So when I get an opportunity, like on Mondays when I do the show with Joey, I'm just going to da 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 but for me, like I, I really enjoy sharing because the next creative person could be watching something that I have done by accident, probably, and stumbled on a bit of information that gives them a spark to go off and do creative shit. So that's always a plus. So I, I always like to give more just in case and, and to, to keep everything real and grounded and present myself as a flawed human being that is also stumbling and I will never have more than two answers at a time. I'll never have all the answers. So I might have the answer to one or two, but let, let's do this together. It's, it's always best that way too, because, you know, because of what you do now, you know, you could be like at a convention and drawing loggerhead or some, something else, you know, something else from Kara Prime and a bunch of little kids walk by the table. And next thing you know, you got, you got like, you know, 10 year olds sending you fan art. Yeah. And you, and you could have been, you could have had a little bit of influence over the next Todd McFarlane. Like he could grow that, that child could grow up to be like the next great toy maker slash, you know, 
300 issues of ongoing independent comics. So you know, so I, I like to operate that way. And I do have fan art from from younger younger kids. I've got some from like a six-year-old that did something. A five-year-old drew something for me once, and they sent it to me. I've had a couple of emails. So I know that I think I'm – I don't know. I'm pretty sure that I'm on the right path to doing – what it is I want to do is make money, make a living being creative at the same time, encouraging creativity in others. Like that's the goal. Paying everything forward and keeping the circle going. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't get to take anything with me when I go. And there's really is, is, is having, is being an artist alley. Is that competition? So do you do you not want to give the guy next to you like, yo, I got so and so. Uh, I found I found this posting online where they're looking for artists that draw mummies really well. Like if I choose not to share that with the guy next to me, is that the way that should go, or should it be like, yo, check this out? Maybe maybe you could try too. And oftentimes it's probably not going to be the case. Because we view each a lot of artists view each other as competition, as opposed to like a buddy system, and I like to operate under the buddy system that there's enough cake out there that we can all eat, and if I'm not the better person to get the job, then so be it. I'm ha I'm okay with that. Yeah, because you know something will always come come around, and yeah, and, and so know, that that is how I try to operate, man. And it's done good for me so far. I just have a little bit further to go before I can fully say that that this lifestyle sustains my current way of life. And I don't drive Lamborghinis. I don't even have cable. Like I don't. I don't live a lavish lifestyle that I'm trying to get uh, illustration to pay for. But I do. I would like to make sure that all my bills are paid, and there's no such thing as a late notice. Like. I need to be a. I just need to kick it up just a little bit more, and then I will have achieved the 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 true goal is to sustain myself, being a creator. Well, you're you're well on your way up there. I sir, I I, I fully believe that that is a true statement, and thank you for noticing. Uh, and speaking of things noticing, did your cover for Jonathan's book? Your variant of the recount did that completely sell out now? I don't think so. They it sells out at the scout store, and then like three days later they'll have some more in there. So I don't know if they're just like throttling so that people can't buy it. But I do believe that you can go there now. But I think they're twenty dollars a piece now. Like they, I think they started off at five, and then they worked their way to ten, and then they were fifteen, and now they're twenty. So it's not completely sold out. I know that I don't have any to offer you. I know I, I don't I don't have any money left. They did all my Christmas shopping, <laughs> and you know, Chris, my Christmas shopping means you know I bought myself something, uh, not that I wanted, but more than you know, stuff I needed, and uh, then everything else was just for my kids. So. That's the way it's supposed to be, man. You know, but uh, I mean, it all, everything so far uh, looks good. And I know you guys had a 
had a, had a nice turnout down at uh, the yeah, collective. I really, I really enjoy, like I said, working with Jonathan is very, I, I appreciate and admire his drive and his creativity and his writing. Like that is, that is uh, pretty awesome. And to see that his book has attained the level of success so far that it has, I'm just happy to have been a small fractional part of what could have helped to make that happen or to even be associated with the success of someone that's put in the hard work that he's done. And that's the way I feel about anything that I've done covers for or have been involved with is like, I'm just, I'm, I'm honored and flattered that these creators that have worked so hard on a project are willing to work with me that didn't put in those all that hard work time and and allow me to take a, a valuable cover spot on one of their books and they feel that I can bring some sort of value to whatever the IP is that they're creating like that to me is really flattering like you've worked really hard on this project for the past 5 years and you've sunk in you know, $50,000 into the artists and the letterers and all this other stuff that you've done. And you're willing to pay me to have my cover be on one version of your book. That's, I mean, that's, that's pretty flattering. I would really like to see you do a cover for an upcoming issue of uh, Phantom Starkiller. I do believe that something is in the works, but I don't know if that's the exact title or it could be a spinoff that uh, that that title has created. But I do I do think that well, it's no surprise that they're there the, the what is it the knuckle duster mm -hmm. is the follow up to that, and I believe that Rad Raptor in Michigan is going to look at getting an exclusive cover for the knuckle duster character. So you might see that. Maybe not Phantom Starkiller, but maybe the Knuckle Duster. That'd be cool because I'm actually a member inside of the comic book shopping network. And they scored that. They they did that deal with Scout yeah. about four or five months ago where every every number one that comes out, they get a, their network gets an, ex, an exclusive cover yeah. for, each, for each one. And that's... That's where I got. That's where I got the uh, the ash can for uh, the recount is through them, and it's it's sitting in a box in Arizona because uh, Jesse from Jesse James Comics yeah. out there does a does a program, and you pay as you go. So like, if I bought like anything from him tonight, I get a I get an invoice later on tonight. Yeah, I I pay it. You know, you know, you you pay as you go. But when that short box fills up all the way, he'll send you an invoice for a flat rate shipping fee of like fourteen ninety five, mm -hmm. and then you know, three or four days later, I have like a big, huge, you know, short box, and I'm excited for when I actually finally fill that box up. Uh, because then I can actually read the three jokers because all my copies of the three jokers are in, are in his damn box. Well, I'll tell you what, maybe next week they'll have a a uh, a version that is limited to the comic book shopping network of this book. 
I will I will know probably in a couple of days because they 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 post the. Uh, oh, they've they already post posted the image. Have they posted the image? I haven't yeah. I haven't looked yet because I've been. This happened. This happened Monday with all this stuff, and so I've been a little preoccupied. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're a fan of video games, this cover may be right up your alley. I'll have I'll have to take a look at it and and see. I I know I like the I like the uh, the WWE cover there. Yeah, well, what did you think about the eight bit loggerhead cover that I did? Did you ever see that one? Oh, the Mario. No, yeah. I haven't. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, that was an exclusive to a uh, a group in Missouri or New Jersey, I think. And uh, let's just say that that is closely connected to the cover for the uh, the the comic book shopping network exclusive for this new issue. Cool. I'll have to jump over to uh, Jesse's page and stop thumbing through because I haven't I haven't looked because I'm. Well, I'm poor, so. Uh, well, and you're moving. You're preoccupied. Yeah, so I, you know, I, I got all my stuff here, and I'm, um, I'm finding stuff that I forget about, and. Fixed income will do that, man. Oh yeah, you know. So, once I start going through through this stuff, and I'm gonna be selling quite a bit of things, so. I, I will be selling things so I can buy well New more things. more things. Yeah. So yeah, you're just just out with the old in with the new. Mm -hmm. Well, it's been fun talking to you, but we are at the two hour mark, sir. Yeah. I have to go take a dump. Yeah, we're like 40. You're gonna go make a Cleveland steamer. I know. I'm not shitting on anybody's chest, but uh <laughs> not yet. I'm doing half I'm doing half a Cleveland steamer. You're just practicing. So follow me on social media at Brian Silverbacks on all your social media or silverbacks.com. And buy a print or a comic or something. Yeah, go check out everything he's got in his store and and follow him. And uh, we will see him very soon. And if you are a member of the Comic Book Shopping Network, make sure you get that exclusive of the new Lockerhead book. And if you're not, apply to be a member of the Comic Book Shopping Network. And then you can reserve your copy of the new Lockerhead book. And get the exclusive cover too. All right, Brian. Thanks. Thank I will you. talk. I will talk to you soon. And uh, thanks for chatting with us. No problem.